and welcome to the Age of Enfrightenment podcast. We're happy to have you back. I'm Nick, and I'm here with my co-host, Theo. Hi, everybody. And Dave. Hey, guys. And we're here with a special guest that you might remember from our Artificial Intelligence podcast, and that's Jordan. Hey, Jordan. Hey, how's it going, guys? Oh, we're just great. So, this week, we've got something, I think, kind of special. It's sort of a general topic, but one that will resonate with everyone very closely, and that's fear of... Frankenstein. Yes, bingo. (laughs) Specifically Frankenstein's. (laughs) No, we're talking about fear of the woods. I feel like I'm speaking as quickly as possible so that no one interrupts me. So... No fear one's going to interrupt you. Fear of the woods. That never happens. Fear of the woods, specifically, uh, the scientific term is hylophobia. And nyctohylophobia is what we call fear of the woods at night, which <laughs> is fear of the woods when Nick talks about it. <laughs> it's it's Nick. Nick's in the woods. It's Nick's hylophobia. So I think that's something that we're going to touch on a lot because it's probably how people think of the woods when they think about what frightens them about it. So getting right into it, Knowing that this is something that we've spoken of before, Theo, in your mind, what's the high-level reason why this is fascinating to you, or why does it hit home for you personally? Well, Nick and Jordan and myself all grew up in the uh, suburbs of Philly, and uh, Dave uh, was in... Um, northern New Jersey. North, Yeah, Northern Jersey. In so. an extremely wooded area, actually. Yeah. Uh, but still not exactly in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, there are wooded areas around, you know, there's state parks, um, smaller parks, just, you know, small forests. So it's always something that's been sort of present in our lives, even if it wasn't an immediate part of it. And, you know, when I was a kid, I, I was a Boy Scout and I spent a lot of time camping. Nick, I know you were a Boy Scout too. Jordan, were you? No, I wasn't a Boy Scout. I mean, I was, you know, Army and all that. So. I mean, he hung out with a lot of Boy Scouts, but that wasn't necessarily <laughs> something he talks about because it was last year. <laughs> okay, wait, wait, wait. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I've spent a lot of time in the woods, and um, there's always something just a little bit unnerving about it. Yeah, that's um, right. It's like a little off, right? It's right. like reality is a little off-center from what you expect it to be. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way of um, putting it. Dave, odd question. Did you camp a lot when you were a kid? I mean, that's not something that like comes up a lot in conversation. That's but. because until I was 13, I lived in the Bronx. Um, so, no. Um, <laughs> I mean, unless, I don't know, unless you count the New York public school system. Uh, oh! Ah, zing! It. Um, but, uh... No, after I moved to northern New Jersey, it was obviously a pretty big shock because it was a heavily wooded area. Like, to me, even the suburbs were the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, but the area I lived was very heavily wooded. So after that, uh, I got really into hiking. And, I, I mean, I am uh, up until today. I still love hiking. And uh, so, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in the woods since then, but... Yeah, not growing up. No, there were no there were no family camping trips. My parents were city folk. Uh, you had a really abysmal childhood, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were genuinely awful, terrible people. I never liked them. <laughs> and I know, uh, so bringing it back around to... <laughs> Wait, I, was... I have to specify that that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> the-
Pirates are lovely people. <laughs> they really are very sweet human beings. But uh, bringing it around to our, our special guest, Jordan, I know you and I have, have had our ventures in the woods together. Um, what do you think about all this stuff? Like, why is this something that, that you care about? Well, again, I mean, you know, it's like you said, it's not the daytime woods. It's not when there's butterflies kind of fluttering around and, uh, you know, sunbeams going through like the treetops. Like, that's really nice. But it's the nighttime and not even just the nighttime, just the enormity of the woods, of getting lost in the woods, of, uh, again, at night, like what else might be out there. Yeah. And you, you brought up something specific, which I think is a great place to dive in more specifically in the topic, which is the rationality behind it, like the innate physical reasons why you should be afraid of the woods, which like you, you had mentioned things, there are things out there that you can't see. They can see you because that's their home, but it doesn't go both ways. And I know uh, Dave wanted to talk a little bit about sort of like the evolutionary context with which we fear the woods. Yeah, so we fear the woods for a reason, and that's because for a long time we had to. We feared the woods because there were things in there that could actually hurt us. There's actually a leftover, um, you know, I, I know I've spoken about this on an, another episode, but... Uh, even down to panic attacks today, uh, it, it's a leftover evolutionarily of our fight or flight response. Um, that was from a time where at any given moment you might have to run or fight for your life. And a lot of that would happen in the wild. There was a reason we feared it. That much evolution isn't just going to go away in a century. My guess is for a very, very, very long time until uh, the world is basically just an urban sprawl. Yeah. Uh, we're going to continue to be afraid of the wilderness, especially at night when you can't th see things coming. Yeah, and consider how little biologically we've changed in our brains over the course of human civilization. There are things that we are equipped with, like that fight or flight, that we just don't use. And I would almost guess that that's a part of why we put ourselves in these situations. We want to go into the woods. We want to feel small. We want to feel vulnerable in a situation that we don't have control of because that's not really the reality that we live in. It's also why I think we like watching people get murdered in the woods in our movies because innately we feel like we feel <laughs> like that might that, that could have yeah. taken a turn. I just love watching you get murdered. Um, but but that's that's a real part of our psyche is is thinking that even if it's people that are the enemy. The woods is a place where you where are you're gonna get attacked. completely vulnerable and anything can attack you. Even though, like, statistically, you're probably more likely to be get murdered in the city just because of the density of people. But there's something about the woods that makes oh, me yeah. like, well, this would be the, the perfect place. The woods give us a sense of uh, kind of getting in touch with nature again and our more primal selves. But you have to take the good with the bad in that also it's going to stir up those same primal feelings of anything can be behind any one of these trees or rocks. Anything can kill you, and if it does or injure you, you're isolated. Oh, sure, and yeah, and that goes back to, you know, points where humanity was not at the top of the food chain, which is a weird concept, but, I mean, when humanity was a young species, this was the time that there were still, the, the actual word for it is megafauna, you know, animals that were just giant. So you have saber-toothed tigers and wolves that are like three times the size of modern-day wolves. 
Um, and I mean, even now you're in the wilderness, even if we're just like in a forest in modern times, there's still mountain lions and bears and coyotes. I think we take for granted how lethal something like a bear is because we have, we have like Disney documentaries about like, Oh, look at the bear. He's taking care of his family. It's so wonderful. It's like, (laughs) that's the documentary. That's the whole documentary (laughs) set to like a really hipster soundtrack. But it's, it's something that like we take for granted because we're so safe. And because like we, we go in the woods under our, our own terms. It's very rare that people go completely feral and say, I'm going to go into the woods and I'm not going to have any protection, but my own self. It's like, no, you go with a, in a camper, you go on a campground. Yeah. We don't need to gun. get food anymore. Like we're not just wandering into the woods on our own. So we take for granted the very real monsters that we live with every day. And maybe that's part of the reason why we like to flirt with the feeling of being vulnerable in, in the woods. Right. And even the things that aren't natural predators are just better adapted to survive there. People have kind of lost their connection. We don't live in woods anymore as, you know, we don't live in forests as a species. So when we go in there, there's things that are just better at staying alive than us. Because it is life or death for them. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think that Nick touched on a little bit, like, you know, and like you were just saying, Theo, that a lot of stuff is so much better suited to being out in the woods at night. Like, we have terrible night vision. Our hearing is kind of shitty. Like, we're just, uh, we're not suited to be out there, you know? we Our sense of smell is atrocious. Oh, yeah, no, we've, we're an interesting build because we have aspects of a predator. We have forward-facing eyes and a tunnel of vision and ears that point forward, where something like a deer would have wide-set vision and ears that can basically pick up 360 degrees of sound because they'll be they'll be chased more likely than we will oh yeah and we we are absolutely at the top of the food chain however we're at the top of the food chain because of society (laughs) uh we're at the top of the fruit everything that makes us at the top of the food chain is inside our skulls it's our brain it's our ability to think we have no weapons we have no weapons attached to our bodies yeah, it's hard to think your way out of a bear attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, speaking of which, bears. Um, when I was about 12, my dad purchased a plot of land in upstate Pennsylvania. It's the um, the area that it's in is called it's um, Potter's County. It's about a five-hour drive from where we are now. And it's closer to the New York border than it is to Philadelphia. Um, and we have a house there. And it's we have 10 acres. And um, I've spent a lot of time up there. My dad goes all the time. And I really do enjoy being up there. Um, there's something really nice about being in woods. There's a there, – it's for, – for all the crap we're talking about, it, it's, it's beautiful. And where we are is – it's – when I say it's a mountain house, I mean it's literally – on top of a mountain and there's people that live up there but the nearest house is probably a couple city blocks away um so there there is a small community but like you know you're mostly isolated and it's in the heart of the wilderness so there's um bears there's coyotes poisonous snakes um (laughs) things like that and you know i've had a couple first-hand encounters with um with the bears 
up there. Um, well, this one, the the first story I'm going to tell isn't really a um, isn't something that I experienced. My uh, cousin, I have a cousin Billy who goes up a lot, and um, he the was up story there. Story of Billy and the Bear. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was up there. It was uh, Billy and my dad, and Billy was out front working on one of the four wheelers. And my dad walks out, and he's on the porch, and he sees Billy, and um, Billy was right next to the tree line, and out of the tree line comes a bear. And the bear was a couple feet away from Billy. It's one of those things where it changes every time. You know, the bear gets bigger yeah. and he right. is closer. He to was Billy. inches away from him with his with his mouth agape. <laughs> he had <human> hands. <laughs> the bear had a cartoon bib around his neck and was sharpening a knife on the floor. It had a picture of Bill on the bib. <laughs> but he's looking at a menu with a picture of Bill on it. <laughs> but the bear was out there and he's behind Billy and Billy didn't notice it. So my dad really calmly just says. Bill, it's time for lunch. Come on in. Bill's working on the four-wheeler. So he's like, all right, I'll be in in a minute. And my dad says, it's time for fucking lunch. Come inside. And Billy gets up. And he's like, all right, Jesus Christ. And he walks over to the porch, just completely misses the bear because he walked in. Um, you know, he turned to his right. The bear was on his left. <laughs> bear got turned. <laughs> <laughs> he walks up onto the porch, and he's just kind of pissed at my dad now. My dad just turns him, shows him the bear right where he was. And could you imagine... If your dad didn't have, because your dad's a, a woodsman, you know, mm-hmm. as far as they come, like he really is. Could you imagine if he didn't have the wherewithal to handle the situation if he did? Oh, Perfect absolutely. example of us being out of our element. Some person, probably me even, and I go camping a lot. Somebody just yells, holy shit, a bear. And starts screaming. That's a totally different situation. That's yeah. a story we're not sharing on oh, our podcast. Absolutely. It's yeah. Tragic. Yeah. Um, um, something that I was there to witness was um, over the summer, we always do a big trip, all the um, guys on my dad's side of the family. So we went up and it was um, evening time. I was cooking dinner and I was um, I was actually making pulled pork. So I'm in the kitchen, you know, pulling pork apart, put it in the crock pot. And my brother comes inside and he's like, hey, there's a bear outside. So I go, cool. So I walk outside and all the guys are standing by the um, the tree line and I see back into the woods is a bear. He's sitting down and there's um, – my dad put um, corn out to attract animals and the bear is just scooping up corn into his mouth. <laughs> and you know, you just kind of like see some shapes and it's getting a little bit dark out. So it's kind of tough to see. So you just see some shapes and then you just see the bear's head rise and the head on this bear is massive just like holy shit that thing's big and here i'm just standing there with like you know pork juice all over my fingers <laughs> and Gross. We're, we're watching it there is like i smell something way better than corn yeah, and we're, and we're where's wa- that coming from we're watching it and where it is earlier in the day my um my cousin bernie was uh chopping wood and we were all doing stuff and he was just like you know there's um a tree down so he was uh, cutting it up and um he comes over to um me and I, I guess it was um, Billy or one of my other cousins. And he's like, hey, I keep hearing something back there. And I'm like, all right, well, I go over to where he was. I check it out. I look around. I don't see anything. I'm like, it's fine, man. You know, don't worry about it. Um, we're just kind of used to people getting skittish up there because if you don't spend a lot of time in the woods, it's scary. Um, so the bear was exactly where Bernie was earlier in the day. So then Bernie, as we're watching the bear, Bernie just turns to me and he's like, I fucking told you I heard something. <laughs> and, and the bear's just sitting there eating. We go about our business and it gets dark and um, we're on the back porch and um, we have motion sensor lights. 
and one of the lights goes off, and we just see the bear. This time, he's not in the woods. We're not getting shapes. We just see the the mass of it. And this bear, if it had stood up, it probably would have been over six feet tall. Oh, easily. Yeah. 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 And yeah. we just see yeah. it strolling out of the woods, walking by. You know, seeing a bear on TV or pictures, you know, even like film where you see it move and you see it like kill something, that doesn't really – it's not the same as seeing one oh, yeah. up close because it's just like, wow, that thing is massive and if it wanted to, I would be dead and I would have literally nothing to – no way to stop it. And um, yeah, it's – bears are scary. Well, I think that Theo touched on something where – he was saying my that. Dick. <laughs> my dick. <laughs> That's um, saying. Touching on my dick. <laughs> but, Hot you know, <laughs> Theo touched on something where he said that, you know, there's you know, people who aren't woodsy people who aren't out there all the time. And I think that adds to the eeriness. Like, if you're not somebody who's out in, in the woods, in the forest all the time, then the little things can really seem like really fucking creepy. Like, the sound that a fox. What does the fox say? Uh, the sound that foxes make um, is... That's going to be our outro music for this episode. <laughs> is, is horrifying. It sounds like somebody's screaming. And, like, they're nocturnal. So it's the middle of the night, and you hear this, like, screaming sound. And it's, it's this awful thing. You're like, somebody's getting murdered, and they're right near me. And I thought I was alone in the woods. And it's this big, like, uh, kind of mindfuck where you're just like, oh, God, what is that? And there's all sorts of weird shit out there like that. Oh, Wait, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's, like I said, I'm, I'm a longtime hiker. And, and funny enough, where I live is swarming with bears. I mean, they swarming. used to be everywhere. Uh, they would eat our garbage. There were multiple times where, like, they became adorable because, like, after Thanksgiving, we walked out of our front door and a bear was just sitting on his butt eating the turkey carcass we had thrown away. Like, so you grow accustomed to them. But I, you know, I used to spend a lot of time in the woods and I felt very comfortable there. Um, I used to go hiking alone because I, I, I thought it was a better experience. However, one time, about two and a half miles uh, deep into the woods in, in uh, an area called the Edison Mines, I oh, was coming. Oh yeah, no, I, I've taken Ed there. Uh, yeah, I, we I was, went. Uh, oh yeah, we went spelunking. Yeah, Nick, you were there too. We actually yeah, like we, climbed we, down the mines. Yeah, yeah. I uh, was walking down a trail, and I saw a bear cub. Um, oh, that's a little bear cub. Yeah, yeah it's adorable. Good, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, if you know anything about bears, uh, they get most vicious when you're around their cubs. I immediately stop and turn around. There's a bear cub behind me on the trail. I am now in between two bear cubs, and I don't see the mother bear anywhere. Uh, that is the first time in almost a decade that I can say I felt the real crushing isolation of the woods. I realized that I was alone. Nobody knew where I was. I immediately grabbed my cell phone and called my mom to say, hey, by the way, I'm in the woods. Here's where. <laughs> and um, it's a good thing I have a cell phone. Yeah. And, you know, that being my point exactly, you don't, we feel very safe until we don't. And then it all comes flooding back to us very quickly of why we're afraid of this. It's in there. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. deep within our brains. 
And I had a very similar situation, though it wasn't something as practically <laughs> something that I should be afraid of. But the first time I ever felt that existential fear of I am out of my element and I'm going to lose was when I was camping. I go on a canoe trip every year in the same general area of the country that we've been talking about. There's a, 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 a spot off of the river where we canoe, where we pull off, and it's not a campsite. It's just the wilderness, which is fun. That's what makes it great because you're not showing up to somewhere that has a very distinct, like, here's the fire ring, here's the water pump. But it's, it's the real forest. So we pull over there and we're sleeping um, for the night. I sleep in a hammock, so already I've exposed myself to the elements. I, I don't go inside a tent. I don't have any protection. I wake up in the middle of the night. I have to go to the bathroom. There were a lot of beers on the river, so that was, there was a reason why I was up at 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I, I jump out of my hammock and, I, and I'm walking through the forest. And This is something that I've done a million times. I've gone camping at least twice a year for most of my life, often more than that. So I walk through and I see something moving on a tree. And I think, well, it could be a squirrel. It could be any number of things I've seen before. So I get closer and I have my phone again, like Dave, I have this privilege of, of that thing, but I don't have any service whatsoever. So I'm truly alone. All I have is the light on my phone. So I see this thing. I'm uh, actually, no, let me back up. I didn't have my phone because I had to go back for it. That's part of the story. <laughs> so I go and, I, and I, I see this thing moving and it had what looked to me like opposable thumbs. It was probably about three or, or four feet long based on what I could see shadows moving in the middle of the night. Three or four foot long thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> so just imagine how big the rest of it was. <laughs> So I'm walking and, and I had this, this moment where I'm like, okay, I'm a rational person. What is that? It looks big, but it's not a bear. I don't think it doesn't look like it has the right body type. And I see that it has these like spines on its back. And it's funny what happens to you when that rational person disappears from your mind. Cause my thought immediately went to, oh my God, this is, this is the moment in my life where I see something supernatural and I'm going to tell people about it forever and they're all going to tell me I'm totally full of shit <laughs> and I'm going to be shunned. I'm going to lose all my friends. They're going to be like, oh, Nick's just a fucking kook. All of this goes in my mind at one moment because that's how quickly we can abandon our rationality. I'm totally freaked out, but I'm not freaked out enough that I need to get away. In my mind, I'm thinking I have to see this thing. So that's when I go back to my hammock. I grab my phone, turn on my light, I go over and I catch this thing just as it has now dropped to the ground. So it's like perfect horror movie moment where I turn my light to where it was on the tree and there's nothing on the tree. <laughs> so right then I'm like, oh, now I'm really like, this is, this is, I'm so screwed. Something's about to crawl up my leg and like eat my guts from out of my butt. <laughs> so, <laughs> you guys don't know. <laughs> So I, I drop I so then I turn my light to the ground because I hear something moving and I see it skitter away. So again, I haven't gotten a full shot. I just see this like spiky tail and I'm thinking like, oh my God. So I have to now just go to bed. <laughs> like I go to the bathroom, I go to bed and I have to, I have to, you know, stew on this. Now it wasn't until I got home and really thought about it. I thought, well, if I had to say it looked like anything, it was a porcupine, but I don't know if they live in this area. I don't know if they climb trees even. I had no, no idea. What if it turned to you and was like, hello, Nicholas? 
Uh, that would probably make me feel better. Honestly, I'd be like, well, I can have a... It's, ar- still, it's still a porcupine. It I can, can have a reasonable conversation with this talk. <laughs> okay, here are all the reasons why you shouldn't eat me. Number one, your teeth are not equipped for that. You are a porcupine. You're supposed to be eating wood. So, but I, I looked it up and I find a picture of a North American porcupine and I think, okay, this is what I saw. But that was the first, and that was adulthood. So that's how spoiled I've been. As many times in the, I've been in the woods, this is the first time in my life where I thought, oh my God, I'm just soft meat and tissue and I'm not equipped to handle whatever out here is clearly awake all night long because that's its thing and it's got eyes on me and I don't have eyes on it. That was a almost indescribable feeling of dread. Oh yeah, it takes very, very little for that veil to fall away. So little. And I would challenge any of like people who think they're the toughest woodsman in the world to like go up against something they don't understand one way or the other. Well, what's funny, Nick said that, you know, our greatest asset is, you know, between our ears, it's in our head, but also at night in the woods, then you're thinking like, this is a monster. Like your brain convinces you, you see it and you don't have lights. We can't see that well. And you're like that, this is like, you know, this, uh, Lovecraftian horror. Worst case scenario. (laughs) But it's, it's a porcupine. Like that's not that big of a deal. I didn't think it was a bunny. (laughs) (laughs) But like, it's this crazy thing where our brains mess with us and like you're out there and you're already like kind of on edge and it just like, it gets to you. And that's like your, your brain is fucking around. Yeah. It's, it's that fight or flight. You're, you're old brain uh, through lots of evolution is surging your system with adrenaline to get you ready to either run like hell or fight something to the death. Yeah, and I, I think we've we've kind of been talking about a lot of sort of personal anecdotes and stuff, but there's also a lot of ways that we have perpetuated as a as a human species the fear of the woods. And there are so many tales in our fables and our, and our fairy tales that basically warn you, don't go into the woods, that's where bad things happen. And it's not even always things that are practical, like bears and things that we've talked about. Sometimes it's Frankenstein. Sometimes it's Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankensteins. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, excuse me, Frankensteins. Yes, let's use the proper term. But I know one thing that we talked about before we started this was sort of uh, things like I, I know I thought of like Hansel and Gretel, like two kids go into the woods and they, you know, it's a warning. Don't do that. Now, granted, they run into a witch, which is a supernatural thing, but it's also a very practical way to get your kids to be like, don't go there. We, we've surpassed that. We live in villages now. Don't oh, go yeah. into the woods. Because you see, because the woods are something that we genuinely fear, it's been really a hotbed of lore and overall spooky shit that we've been telling each other. I mean, everyone can think, uh, if you're from a wooded area, there's stories, uh, sometimes supernatural, sometimes human horror, about a certain stretch of woods in your town. Uh, everyone has them. We, we have Clinton Road in Jersey. Um, this is my road, and I purchased it, and that's why it belongs to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Was it sexist of me that I thought of Bill Clinton and not Hillary, who literally just ran for president? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, a tad. 
<laughs> but, what's um what's Clinton Road though? I mean, I've heard of it, but I don't know any specifics. I mean, Nick pretty much got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just where it's just where Bill hangs out, like to get to um, to cut loose. It's hard. There's <laughs> it, it's a ten mile stretch of road in Warren County, I believe it is. Um, it's off of twenty three. Basically, uh, very Jersey specific. <laughs> yeah, you know, twenty three. Where by, you go? It's, it's by, on, the Sev. Um, <laughs> by the Sev. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's right by Tim's house. You know, there's <laughs> there's a bunch of stories and have been swirling around Clinton Road for a long time. Uh, some are true, some are fake, and have been. Uh, I don't want to say trumped up, but all right. So Clinton Road was a road in sparta that you know it's been featured in weird new jersey um a whole bunch and it's basically it's this 10 mile long stretch of road um off of route 23 that is supposed to you know i yes like i can say haunted but that's not yeah i was just worried about triggering ghost sounds parts of it are supposed to be haunted there's an old bridge where apparently a boy died uh if you stop well while you're driving turn your headlights off throw a coin over the bridge he will throw the coin back and it'll land on your car yeah we got one of those and every every person listening to this is like oh yeah i've got one of those yeah everyone (laughs) everybody has one one of those stories uh there's a house one house only on this 10 mile stretch of road that's where Frankenstein lives. <laughs> Frankenstein. Way worse. It's where the KKK hold meetings. Oh. Um. It. It Whoops. was. Un- oh my God. Frankenstein KKK. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um. In I believe it was the fifties. Could have been the twenties. Um. The mob used a stretch of Clinton Road because it is incredibly isolated as a dumping ground for bodies. Um, so, you know, at one point somebody just found a bunch of, when I say cut up, I mean torsos, legs, arms in trash bags on the side of the road. Yeah. Um, so obviously there's, there's a lot of stories, uh, circulating about this place and there's also some really good hiking around Clinton road. And I, (laughs) that took a a pleasant turn. I, I, I hike there a lot during the day, um, However, I couldn't find anyone to camp with me there at night. And I mean, these are all rational people that I was asking. Uh, but I mean, just in my town, even asking people to go hike there, people were immediately like, I'm not fucking going into the woods on right. Clinton, off Clinton Road. Right. Like, it, it's just everyone has a stretch of woods yeah. that they have stories about. And, and for it us, becomes it Clinton. A, and it becomes a given. Yeah. Right, you you might not know the specifics, but you're like, well, nobody goes in those woods. That's what are you crazy? Like, yeah, you want to you want to die? They might not have an, an anecdote about someone they know that they've lost, but they know instinctively, don't do that. Yeah, murder trees. Yeah, don't go near the murder trees. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's so funny because it's like you're saying, Dave. You got these rational, logical, quote normal. Who's normal? You know, but normal people. But all of a sudden. That's this thing that the, the woods abandoned. It, yeah. it inspires in people like this, like well, no, no, you can't go there at night. Like you know, I mean, you'll do X, Y, Z, but no, you can't go and you can't go to Clinton Road at night. You nuts? Oh yeah, it, and it's one of those things. Even if people possibly don't believe it, there is an example in in this book I like that I'm going to alter a bit. 
that's what if one person in a town tell you that the woods on the outskirts of town are haunted? Do you believe them? The answer is probably going to be no. What if two people tell you? What if 10, 20, 30 people? At a certain point, you would be stupid to ignore an entire town's warnings. But the real question is, even if you don't believe it, do you still go into those woods? Yes. Yes, I know we would. <laughs> like, well, I was going to say, we are without a doubt camping near Clinton Road now. That I'll is that is fucking do it in a heartbeat. Stone. That's I've been gonna looking happen. for like eight years for somebody to do that with. Yeah, I'll do it. I'm, I don't give a shit. I'll well, Nick, you're totally invited, man. <laughs> it's going to be such a great bonding experience for like just you and I. Yeah. To go to Clinton Road and enjoy a real I don't know nice why time. I shot Ed. Yes, Ed, of course. <laughs> I want you to come. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, screw that. Me and Jordan are going to. Atlantic City. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you guys. We're going to have our own with Clinton Road with hookers and blackjack. <laughs> uh, so, kind of switching gears just a little bit. Recently, we recorded a, a an episode about lycanthropy and werewolves, and we talked about some of the symbolism behind that. And I think there's maybe some crossover in that the woods represent a wildness and a primal behavior within us because what we've talked a lot about is all all kind of practical reasons to be worried at least worried about going to the woods there's also kind of an idea that's an inherent thing in our culture about what happens to a person when they go into the woods and personally one of my favorite examples of that is one of my favorite stories by nathaniel hawthorne which is young goodman brown which is about a good pious Christian man during the time of the pilgrims when that was a very important thing for the settlers. And he leaves his wife to go into the woods. And the way that this story is set up is that this is something he just needs to do. And what you realize is that he goes into the woods so that he can meet with the devil and he has a walk with him. And ultimately throughout the story, it's the devil tempting him, which is of course reflective of the same kind of like temptation of Christ that happened. But it's very important and very specific that he sets this in the wilderness. This is something that couldn't happen in town where people put on airs and people pretend to be the best version of themselves. The devil lures him into the woods because that's his best possible chance at appealing to his, his darker side and his more, uh, animalistic side of like, yeah. well, why shouldn't you just come do what I do? You can be happy. You can do whatever you want. And I think that's also the reason why we have so many things like Friday the 13th and stuff where people commit savage, unspeakable acts in the wilderness, because that seems inherently, we, it's not like a proven thing, but it's something that we just kind of feel in our gut that if you're going to, if you're going to do something unspeakable, you're going to do it out in the woods. So there's also that fear of people. Again, like you're not in a populated area, but you're even if you're not worried about bears, you might be worried when some axe murderer shows up out of nowhere and takes out my whole campground. Well, what's especially, I mean, weird about that is that, you know, if you're supposed to be out, you said, you know, the idea of like going out to the woods and camping because you want the isolation is that if there's somebody else out there. And, like, they're around you. Like, A, what are the chances that there's going to be somebody else out in the middle of the woods? And, like, B, are, 
like, is it this malicious thing, or is it just they just so happen they're just to also be, in yeah, the woods? <laughs> they just so happen to also be in the woods, or is it like this creepy thing? And you hear, you know, these urban legends about like um, people go and get film developed from their camera, and it's pictures of them sleeping in their tent, and it's like this whole like, oh shit, like somebody came in my tent, took my camera, took photos of me, and left it there and then like you go and get developed and it's like just that eeriness of like uh or, or, i'm sorry the helplessness yeah. of like that feeling where it's like shit they could have done whatever you know whatever horrible unspeakable thing because yeah. i didn't even realize i came in my tent it's vulnerability again it's it's i don't control a place that isn't my domain for sure one thing that I'm actually excited to hear Theo talk about a little bit is sort of uh, a myth that was told to him when he was, he had, he had mentioned being in Boy Scouts, and I thought when he first told me this, it was just one of the coolest, creepiest stories that I had never heard of, and which was cool because there's a lot of stories that float around that kind of like go across different state lines and everybody has a version of them, like the old bridge that someone killed themselves off of. But I thought the story uh, that someone, that an adult told a group of children when Theo was little was uh, really particularly spooky and speaks to why we're so terrified of, of the woods. Yeah, so this, this was, I probably would have been around nine, eight or nine when I heard this. My uh, scout master, Mr. Freimeyer, was particularly skilled at telling really good um, campfire stories. And a lot of the ones he told, I've I've looked up, you know, I, I tried to find them online and I've spoken to people about them. So I guess he just made them up himself or heard them from somebody because I, I haven't been able to find any. So the one that really sticks with me is... Um, the story of the three-pawed cougar. It sounds a little weird, but stick with me here. So he told a story about how, you know, in the the early days of man, you know, the when humanity was still young, there was a cougar that was gigantic, and it was missing its back left paw. I think it was born without it. It was a birth defect, so it was missing its paw. So you would be able to see the tracks that this panther would leave, or um, cougar would leave, because it would only be three paw prints. And he told us about how there was a man who went out into the wilderness to find the three paw cougar and to kill it. And he talked about how he stood in a, a clearing at night, and he took a blade and he cut himself across the chest to get the scent of blood in the air, and he waited, and the cougar found him. And they fought, and the cougar killed him and ate him. And he said that from his stump where he was missing his paw, a human foot grew. And from then on, you could see the tracks that would leave because it would be three paw prints and a foot. And the, the, thing, the, the line that he ended the story on just stuck with me. And he says, remember, man has never tasted it, but it has tasted man. And it's so chilling. <laughs> I know, I know. And it's such like a weird concept, you know, it's a cougar with a human foot. But it's hearing that and again, keep in mind, I was I was a fucking kid when I heard it the first time, but you know, around a campfire in the wilderness, that terrified me. I did not sleep a wink that night, and it has sat with me since. The thing that I think is so perfect about that campfire story is it's got this beautifully crafted uh, 
premise that you're going to look for because that's what makes people unsettled. That's what makes people worry about Bigfoot, right? Like, oh, there's a, there's a hole over there. Does it look like maybe it's a foot? Now you've given something for kids to look out for. They might see paw prints, hoof prints, but the second they see something that looks like a man's foot, could have just been a person, was it the three-pawed cougar? Like, what do those other tracks look like? To me, it's like the perfect setup of the things that we want to believe about the wilderness. We want to believe that even though we've mapped out the earth as much as we think we can, there's still so much of it we don't know. And who's to say there isn't this horrific beast out there somewhere walking around with a man's foot? I hope not. That just, like, just bummed me out. All I took from that is that uh, Theo is inherently terrified of apex predators that are disabled. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually have a surprise for you. Three-pawed jaguar? Come on out. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you've been talking about me. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of story that uh, we all kind of get little tidbits of when, we, when we're a kid and all of our uncles or dads love to tell us when we're camping. But there's a reason why I think that one stuck with you over over anything else because it is so primally terrifying to to think of. Is is there anything for you guys when you think about scariest thing about the woods? Maybe not even something that happened to you directly, like an actual anecdote. Scariest worst case scenario in the woods. What is it for you? Um, <clears throat> bear rape. <laughs> uh, growing up, me and my current roommate, uh, we've been friends for like 20 years. and Husband. Um, uh, domestic partner, thank you very much. <laughs> um, we've been friends for, for years. And I used to go on vacation with him all the time down to Maryland. Um, and we had this, ha or they had this house that they would rent. And it was right on like this tributary of the Chesapeake Bay. And otherwise, there was, like, not a, a lot of other, you know, like, neighbors. Like, across this, like, expanse of water, there was another house, and you could see it, but the lights were never on. You didn't really think about it. Like, you, were, you felt very, you know, um, alone there. And I remember we would, we were terrified to sleep downstairs. And again, like, his family was there. It was like his whole entire family was in this. It was a building, not like, again, being in a tent, like being by yourself out in the woods, but it was just in the middle of the woods. And uh, so eventually, once we hit like, you know, ooh, like 13, you have to be tough. So we we're like, oh, we're going to sleep downstairs. That's so badass <laughs> in a house full of people. We're going to get so much pussy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the one night we're, we're sleeping downstairs and there's all these bunk beds. And, you know, we were making jokes, yada, 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 whatever bullshit. And eventually we're trying to get to sleep. And there was these windows and just screens. We had the windows open. And I just, I remember hearing like, this like slapping the water was probably like uh 20 feet from where the windows were hearing this like slapping noise in the water and it was like what the fuck would that even be like that's just the sound that you can't fathom like what the hell would that even be and then you hear that down in the water and then we could hear like footsteps in the grass approaching the house and, like, at first, we're, like, kind of trying to laugh it off. The two of us were down there. Everybody else is asleep. You know, it's, like, uh, 2 o'clock in the morning. And we could, like, hear 
something coming toward the house. And it was just like this awful and we couldn't see we're looking out it's pitch black couldn't see anything out there and as it got closer and closer finally like it was just this uh unspoken thing we're like fuck this and we went sprint upstairs and slept like on the couches up in like the main area now we're safe (laughs) yeah like you know because if it's something that could get us then god forbid it's gonna go through a wire mesh screen um we found out later that it was just like the dog from next door would go swimming just like down this tributary of the chesapeake and come slapping up onto the uh property every now and then oh that's old slappy the dog (laughs) he's always slapping along and just that that horror of the unknown of like and then just having this feeling of helplessness of like if it's some monster if it's some horrifying thing there's nothing we can do there's just there's nothing you can do you're totally boned and even having all those people around it just the the helplessness of like just being out in the middle of nowhere because even if it was just like a person with a knife and they came and murdered all of us like it's not like the cops would show up even if we called 911 right then like just being stranded is uh, that's my thing it's just being stranded in the middle of nowhere and you know if something gets you it gets you and you're fucked you guys want to talk about the suicide woods I think we absolutely should talk about the suicide woods. Okay. Because what a, what a lighthearted subject (laughs) for a lighthearted podcast. (laughs) Um, at the base of Mount Fiji in Japan, there is a pretty large stretch of stretch of woods, um, where a lot of people go to kill themselves. Now, whether this is, I mean, there, there's a couple of reasons of why this might happen. The, most prominent theory is that it's people who don't either don't want their family to know that they killed themselves. They don't want to make a fuss, um, over their death, which is a big deal in Japan. Actually. Oh, it's They're a very not big deal. like Americans where we're the star of yeah, every moment of our it's lives. Like, you have to clean up my yeah. brain. <laughs> so like, um, you, you know, uh, but because of that, there is a lot of very spooky stories about those woods and, I mean, you talk about a nightmare situation, um, just being in those woods and knowing that at any time you could come across bodies hanging from the trees, um, dead people just lying about, uh, because there's that, you know, they absolutely do not recover everyone that goes missing in those woods. Um, and you know, then there's much spookier uh, versions of the stories. Where is there something in those woods, right. whether it be a natural, naturally occurring uh, reaction, that uh, that makes people much more susceptible to suicide? Right. When uh, you think about the happening, the movie, the premise of it, not necessarily the whole thing, because it wasn't <laughs> perfectly executed. Yeah, I don't like to think about But the, the premise of it... That's my favorite movie. The premise of it is horrifying. It's there's something in nature that is making people off themselves. And I can't decide what's scarier. Is it the concept that are people being lured by spirits into the woods that make them kill themselves? Or is there, like, something in the air, something in the pollen, or something in just the atmosphere of that part of the world that gives you a psychological effect. Oh, it could just, it could be as simple as the color palette of that particular forest. There is a bridge in, I believe also Japan, that a lot of people were uh, killing themselves on. They would jump off the bridge. It was a red tinted bridge 
they changed the color to blue. And again, this was a very popular suicide bridge. The number of suicides that year dropped to zero. Could you imagine the thought process of somebody who's really amped themselves up for it in their home and they're like, I'm going to do it. I don't deserve to be here. And then they get to the bridge the day after they painted it and they're like, I just don't really feel like it now. It's it's blue. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but I think I'm just going to go get a sandwich and enjoy the fact that I'm here. have a surprisingly (laughs) profound effect on uh, the human psyche to the point where not all of it is explained because it actually also affects people who have been blind since birth. Um, Yeah, so there there are definitely some creepy aspects. Yeah, that's right. Wait, no, I'm sorry. I was, I I mean, really? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. Well, there's a lot that goes into that, that that goes into very specific, the color theory that we use when we design things and whether it's uh, interior design or architecture or that there's so much psychology that really should go into things like that. Because it's like you want to get somebody to eat your product, you know, do this. If you want to get someone to be terrified by your movie, you should use this palette. There's a reason that there's a there's a a harmonious color palette across a lot of horror movies because you're affecting people's ability to resist or be enthralled by fear. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, these woods at the base of Mount Fuji, uh, you you have to imagine that if somebody did go to those woods with the intent to kill themselves, like I said, there's a very real possibility that the particular hue of the trees or the foliage or something would have, would make them more likely to right. actually follow through right. with the suicide than in possibly some other forest, they would just turn around and go home. But either way, the uh, point of all of this is creepy goddamn forest. Did anybody <laughs> see the, the movie that came out last year? No. Yeah, uh, I did. N- it was a giant bummer. With, uh, it's like Natalie. Yeah. Dormer, Natalie Dormer. Yeah. <laughs> Natalie. Well, Wood. you know, it's funny. That's one of those things where I was oh, ex- not funny for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. I was making the connection of wood and trees. <laughs> like, not, not murder. that was one of those movies where i was excited by the idea because i know about these was and i've read a lot of articles and i think the real life story is so fascinating the second i realized oh no they're just gonna put it through the hollywood filter and give it like a really dumb ghost story i thought you know what would be even scarier just a really solid documentary about the reality because that often we water down the truly terrifying things that happen in our lives and in reality by giving it something a little more trite that you know isn't true. But see, this is what I mean. If there was... I'm sure that lots of people jump to their death off the Golden Gate Bridge every year. They used to. Um, in, like, large numbers until they did and something about. we don't have... We're not creeped out... We right. don't have stories about a haunted Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. However, there are tons of stories circling those woods, yeah. and I think it's inherently the woods. Sure. It's something about the you isolation. You don't see the, the intro to Full House and hear that music and think, <laughs> oh, shit, there's that bridge. <laughs> I, think right I, might, I might kill myself. Well, I do, but for different reasons. <laughs> see, what's, uh, I mean, to me, like in my head, is that, you know, is it this this the hue of the trees is it this color palette is it this or is it that you know um is it this psychological like society's the real monster like because people go there to kill themselves is it more likely that other people are then going to kind of follow along 
and go and kill themselves uh, because that's where you go kill yourself. But, like, right. that's, you know, again, not to get too, like, existential or whatever, but, I mean, that's almost just as uh, kind of creepy to me. Yeah. And it also speaks to that thing that we already touched upon about the freedom of being in the woods and how there's good with the bad with that. If you want to kill yourself and have no one stop you, go into the woods. Why not? But it also... Please allows for your mind. It also allows for your mind to think about if you wanted to murder somebody, where do you go? You go into the woods. Nobody will find you. So there's this innate connection that we make, where it just equals danger. Even if those woods had no apex predators or no whatever, there's almost the fear of self because. I'm sure a lot of tourists and people even who live in Japan have gone into those woods out of curiosity, right? Like, I want to just go see. It wouldn't be that much of a stretch of imagination to say if we all went, we might be a little apprehensive and think, am I truly sure that I want to play with that possibility Oh yeah. Of walking into those woods and starting to feel things about myself and my own mortality that I've never felt before. What I said before, it's like, you know that there's nothing, but it's like, you still don't want to do it. Right. Yeah. You don't want to put it to the test. The, the only local version that I can think of that is, uh, years ago, I went to a place in literally in the central, uh, uh, part of Pennsylvania called Centralia. It's a small town, People might know about it tangentially, but not directly because it was the inspiration for Silent Hill. Specifically, they did a lot of research for the movie. It's a very super wooded area, small town. It was always a small town, but it was a mining town. So there was at least people who lived there to work the mines. Um, Now there's a population of like maybe 10 people. It gets fewer and fewer. And it's just people too stubborn not to leave. Older people who don't want to go. Yeah. Back in the, I think, 50s or 60s, there was a coal fire that just ignited the earth underneath the town. Everyone had to bail. If, if you didn't die in the fire, you had to move out and you had to leave. It's become one of those places that not necessarily people go kill themselves, but people think about it as this local place that has a pall of, of mystery about it. And I went with some friends and we checked it out. And the real thing that people go to see is there's a a piece of highway that's been completely overtaken by the forest, which is always a really unnerving thing to see when you see man-made structures that have just been like reconsumed by the earth. You have to, it's hard to find. You have to like stop somewhere on the highway, kind of trek through the woods a little, jump over like a big girder that blocks it off and walk I want to say probably like 100, 200 yards down the stretch of road. And as you go, you start to realize it's becoming harder and harder to see. It's getting foggier. And if you didn't know why, it would be very unnerving, but we knew exactly why we went there. What we eventually landed on was the thing we were looking for, which is a massive crack in the center of the road with steam and heat rising out of it. It's smoke, actually. It's not steam. You can smell that it's smoke. And it's clouding up the whole area. And this is now 60 years later. The reason that happens is because the earth is still on fire beneath the ground. Now, that's a whole other episode topic about places that maybe are the gates of hell. 
But what stuck with me was here I am in the woods. I'm surrounded by pine trees in the middle of central Pennsylvania and the earth is on fire underneath my feet. Even though I know why, even though I know that it was a mine fire and that people died, it was a real thing that there were newspaper articles written about people lost their lives. You can't help but be there in that moment and think there's no way that this isn't a supernatural place. I'm in the woods and there's smoke bleeding from the ground. This is not the kind of place that you tread lightly into. And it is the kind of place that I felt a psychological, those, in those moments where I wasn't just joking around with my friends and being like, oh, this is super cool. I tried to take a moment to reflect on how do I actually feel about this? And it was a very disquieting experience. Oh yeah. No, I definitely, I think that forever, uh, at least for the next millennia or so, there is no way that we are ever going to feel completely easy with the woods. Um, Until we get rid of all of them, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, we're doing it's, a pretty good job. Yeah, you know, it's a self-fixing problem. <laughs> but I mean, I just there are so many reasons why to be nervous in it, as well as all of the ones that we've created, whether it be myth or folklore or what have you. Yeah, so I think uh, I think we covered some really good grounds in he, uh, this episode. Um, you know, I, I there's a lot of people out there who, you know, my dad being one of them, who feel you know the complete opposite of how we feel in the woods. You know, he goes up to the mountains by himself, and will just stay there for a weekend and be fine and enjoy it. Um, so if I all I'm saying is, if you think you're one of those people, just next time you're in the wilderness. Take a moment when the sun is going down, just stand, watch the sun going down, and tell me you don't feel just a little pang of dread in the pit of your stomach. Yeah, and I would even be interested to find out, someone like your dad who is a woodsman, what scares you about the woods? Because everybody has something. What's your what's the thing that that makes you uneasy? And it might be different for everybody, but I guarantee it's there. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to pick uh, Big Ed's brain about that. <laughs> But all right. So this has been a, I think, lovely episode of The Age of Enfrightenment. And I want to thank our guest, Jordan, for coming on. I really appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. All right. That's enough. Don't get cocky. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you for listening. And we can't wait to come back with more. And I'm sure we'll be trekking into the woods a lot in future episodes to come. And we can't wait to share with you what some of those stories are. This episode has been brought to you by Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> Frankenstein's. Oh, sorry.